Hello and good morning. I'm Jamie from Stillmeyer Games and I'm here today as usual on Wednesday for my one hour live cast. I'm here to share some Stillmeyer Games news, to discuss some random topics and to discuss and to answer and discuss your questions. I tried something a little bit different today. So I'm using StreamYard for the second time for this live cast. And about 15 minutes in advance, I posted it as a scheduled event in the hopes that more people on Facebook would be able to see that it was happening. Because last week we heard that not many people on Facebook got notifications that I was live, unlike normally when I have previously streamed live on Facebook. So I'm curious if anyone on Facebook got a notification in advance um, compared to last week. I see George is joining us from Facebook, Tony as well. So maybe that notification is working. I also see some comments from YouTube as well. Um, Carlos says, I've been playing Apiary these last few days and I love it. I'm glad to hear that Carlos especially how the end game is triggered. I was wondering if it was always like that or added, or if it was added after playtesting. I'm excited for everyone playing Apiary right now. I see a lot of posts about it, a lot of questions and, and, and photos of what people are building in the game. It's really cool to see. Um, I want to see more dances. I want to see more dances and hives, photos of those things on the Facebook group and on Instagram and BoardGameGeek. But anyway, Carlos's question, was the end game always like that? Oh, Carlos, that goes back a couple years now. Um, I know it was like that for a long time. I don't think that was something that we changed once it got to the development process of the game. Where was, I'm trying to think back to what the prototype looked like uh, when I was originally looking at it. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if uh, David or uh, or, uh, or Connie are, are here right now, but if either of them can remember, David is Connie's partner. Um, Connie is the designer. If they can remember what the original end game condition was. I don't remember offhand, but that is a good question. I would love to know. Let's see, uh, some people are saying that they got the Facebook notification. That's great, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, Valerie says that she just got Euphoria. Thanks for the restock. It was the only Stonemaier game I was missing. Wow, so you have all 16 Stonemaier games. That is a lot of Stonemaier games. Or maybe at one time you had all, all 16 Stonemaier games. I don't expect anyone to keep all of them all the time. I know we don't play all the games that we have on our shelves. Um, but that's great. I'm glad you got Euphoria. It is back in stock along with Ignorance is Bliss after popular demand. Ian says his board game club is going well and is expanding to include fourth graders after Thanksgiving break. Oh, here's David. Okay, thank you, David. David says, I think early on, it wasn't a hibernation area. It was a tracker like in Charterstone. That's right. Okay. I do remember Connie talking about that a little bit, how she was a little bit inspired by the, the progress track in Charterstone. So that makes perfect sense. I do like how hibernation worked out. I still do get questions from time to time from people who haven't played it yet, um, asking what happens when you run out of workers. And I think maybe in their heads, as is, is fairly intuitive, that they're they're thinking that you have to place your worker miniatures on the hibernation comb itself. But you don't do that. The worker miniature goes back to the supply and you're placing a little token representing that worker on the hibernation comb. Thank you, David, for clarifying that. Uh, Keepers of Fun says, assuming you've played both, which one do you prefer, Hero Realms or Star Realms? Have you also tried the digital versions of those games? Keepers of Fun, I'm actually going to go, if I can, go with a third answer. My favorite is the Star Wars deck building game. I think that is my favorite of that, of this category of game. They're very similar games, um, but each has their own unique twist. 
And I, I really love a Star Wars deck building game out of those three. But if I had to choose between Hero Realms or Star Realms, Megan and I play more Star Realms. So I'll go with Star Realms. We have also played through the uh, one of the one of the Hero Realms campaigns and enjoyed that. I've played Star Star Realms digitally. I haven't played Hero Realms digitally, and I backed a Star Wars campaign, maybe a legacy game that uh, I don't know when it will arrive, but I'm looking forward to giving that to the table. So I I like both. I would say if I was going to go with a campaign version, go with Hero Realms because we played that and enjoyed it. Star Realms, if we're just going to sit down and play a game for 20, 25 minutes, Star Realms. But if we're also going to sit down and play a game for 20, 25 minutes, I would go with the Star Wars deck building game in this genre. Yeah. Uh, Kevin says, do you read the rules for a lot of games that your groups play, or is there some someone else that usually takes up the task of teaching the game? I learn some games. I would say that the most learning a game that I do uh, are campaign games or games that I play only with Megan, which are mostly campaign games. Those are the games that I am learning. Uh, most other games I am learning from friends or I'm learning from a friend who occasionally I, uh, I, I, I compensate for his time for learning games that I want to play. Um, so that is a, a very nice gift that this friend gives to me. Uh, my friend Henry does that. Yeah, but I do learn some games from Megan uh, to, to play and teach with Megan. Uh, Tom says, I'm excited for my first Magic pre-release tomorrow. That's exciting, Tom. First Magic pre-release. Uh, not still my related, but I have our your top 10 games of all time videos thanks to me getting into Magic the Gathering. That's awesome, Tom. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really neat game. I, I, I love Magic the Gathering. I think it sometimes it gets a bad name, and perhaps justifiably so, for being a game that you have to like pay to play. But there really there are a lot of other fun ways to play Magic without having to pay a bunch of money just to compete in a certain type of tournament. You can also go to a pre-release. You can just draft it like I do. Um, you can build a cube and just play games with that cube of cards. There's a lot of fun ways to play it. I think it's a, a really, really clever game. Dominic says that his group is having a blast with Apiary, definitely becoming one of our favorite games. Thank you, Dominic. I really, really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, 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 got, I played it like five times in the same month, and I haven't played it since then, but I'm looking forward to getting it back to the table. We, I am hosting game night tonight, or we're hosting game night tonight. I think that might get to the table. Um, the Arc Nova Marine Worlds expansion might get to the table. I did play that last week for the first time, and I have a video coming out about it on Friday. Megan and I started to play Earthborn Rangers last night as well. That's our new campaign game. We're still in the, we spent about two hours on the character creation process, which is like the first thing that you do when you sit down to play this game. And so we're hoping to get into the, the meat of the game in the near future, if possible. I also had a fun, um, a fun playtest night on Saturday night. I joined up with three local designer friends and we each brought a game to the table and we spent around 30 minutes on each game, just playtesting the game and talking about it, maybe a little bit longer than that on each game. And it was great. It was a really, really great night. This would not work for every type of game that we designed. Some of these longer games wouldn't work for that. But we happened to all have shorter games that we're working on. And so it was great to bring them to the table there. And I also played Century Spice Road and Spots at my virtual game night last Wednesday. Uh, and I posted about that on Instagram today if you want to check out those photos. Garrett says, any new crowdfunding backings this week? He's currently backing, backing Undergrove and Nocturne. I backed Undergrove yesterday and Kelp. And was there a third one? Let's see, I'll bring up Kickstarter over here to see what I'm backing. And maybe actually, let me see if I can share this page. I think it's fine for me to share what I'm backing right now. 
Yeah, here we go. You can see my currently backed projects. I'll, I'll share it over here. So you can see right now I'm backing Undergrowth by Elizabeth Hargrave. I'm backing Kelp and Mons and Mages. So here's what Mons and Mages looks like. It's kind of inspired by uh, Pokemon, I think. You're kind of you're collecting and creating a tableau of wonderful monsters. And then I'll show you Kelp. Kelp is from a, a design team, a, a studio that helped me out with a recent article where I was talking about online advertising. Oh, here, Garrett, I'll take down your comments so people can see this better. Uh, I was talking about online advertising and they, they talked about some really neat advertising methods on social media that they were using. And I talked about some of those methods that we are testing out as well. So I'm excited to see Kelp. I, I backed Kelp after that went live. And also backed, of course, Undergrove by Wingspan designer, Elizabeth Hargrave. Uh, yeah, but all of these look really neat. I am often, when I back projects, I often back at the standard edition price because I just want to play the game. I don't need the fanciest version of it, but most of these projects do have a premium level as well that I'm not currently backing. Um, but I do like the option sometimes to upgrade later in the pledge, in the pledge manager. Sometimes I do that. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at right now. What are you all backing this week or what are you excited to get in the mail? Do you have any incoming games? or games on your shelf of opportunity. I have, uh, what's the other game I have? Oh, I think tomorrow I will be learning Scholars of the South Tigris with my friend Henry. We'll be playing that tomorrow. And again, a game night tonight, maybe Apiary, maybe Marine Worlds for Ark Nova. I don't know, I'm flexible for that. Uh, Jordan says, is the Star Wars game worth it if you have Star Realms already? I absolutely think so. I have both in my collection. I, I Even though I love the Star Wars game, I'm probably playing that over Star Realms now. I do like having Star Realms in the collection because they do have a different feel. They have a different endgame condition and a bunch of different mechanisms in there. One of the key differences is in that in Star Realms, you are trying to decrease your opponent's life to zero. In uh, Star Wars deck building game, you are trying to destroy three bases from your opponents. And that's a big mechanism in the game. The bases have their own little health that you're tracking. So it has a little bit of a destroy health or um, yeah, re reduce health element to it. But every time your base is destroyed, you get to pick a new base and replace the old base. And the new base often has either an ongoing or comes into play ability. It feels really thematic. It feels less abstract, I think, than, than, uh, than losing health. And, and uh, so I really like that aspect of Star Wars deck building game. There's also the, the card row, the interaction with the card row in Star Wars deck building game is very different than Star Realms. Star Realms plays a little bit more into the the factions. Star Star, uh, Star Wars does have some of that. The names are so similar, right? I, I keep repeating them. But Star Realms leans more into the faction element of the game. But yeah, I think both uh, I think both can go in a collection. If you really do enjoy Star Realms, I think you'll also enjoy the Star Wars deck building game and vice versa. Converted Dynamesh says, as a designer, are there certain types of games you prefer designing over others? Like maybe not, you're not a fan of dexterity games, but love complex hero games. Definitely, yeah. I I generally gravitate towards medium weight euro games, and I found that those are the types of games that I enjoy spending my time on as a designer, for sure. Uh Aquinium says, what special component do you want to work with for your next game? Uh, they use magnets as an example here. Um, you know, I can't, I don't want to spoil anything for my next game. Let me think of a general component that I am excited about. Uh, let's see. I don't know. I don't have a specific component. Usually it comes and it comes into shape with the game itself. That's a great question though. What, what types of components? Um, let me ask you all. Yeah. Have you played a game recently where you had a component in the game that you really, really enjoyed that really brought the game to life? Let me think if I had one recently that uh, really, really brought the game to life. 
I mean, the components, so I recently played the Ark Nova Marines World expansion, and they do a little thing in the expansion where, where they replace some of the cubes that you use in the game with little animal meeples. And it's just a charming little touch. Animal meeples are adorable, and they're slightly more thematic than cubes, even though the cubes themselves are used in a fairly abstract way. But it is a nice touch in the expansion that you get that little upgrade. Before I forget, I did want to mention one of the fun things that I did this weekend was I got to hang out with a Stillmeyer Games shareholder, someone who owns some shares of Stillmeyer, and his son. They were in town for the Metallica concert, and they stopped by. We had lunch and played some games at Pieces Board Game Bar and Cafe, which I highly recommend if you're ever in St. Louis. And he was very kind to give me my chocolate of the day, which was some Ukrainian chocolate. The shareholder is, uh, his family is originally from Ukraine. He is originally from Ukraine. And this was uh, macadamia nut chocolate, and it well, it was and is delicious. It is definitely my chocolate of the day. It is so good. So thank you to Vidal, Vidal, Vitali for sharing that with me. It was great to spend time with you. We played Bites. Played Bites for the first time. A nice little light filler game about ants, moving ants along a path while you gather resources and move them to an anthill. Played that, and I also taught them QE, uh, which I hadn't played in a while. QE works surprisingly well at three players. It's a nice little auction game where you can bid anything you want, but you can't be the player who spent the most money over the course of the game. Really enjoyed my play of that. It was fun to play with Vitaly and his son. So that was my chocolate of the day. What is your treat of the day? Do you have any extravagant treats that you're enjoying today? Carmen says that they're also loving Apiary. Played two Altama games already. I've heard great things about the Altama version of Apiary. I spend my design and development time on the multiplayer versions of our games, but and I so I have a high level of trust for the Altama Factory team for creating those solo modes. Aquanium says, what applications and software do you use for board game design and idea generation? I'm getting into it, but I don't know what the best way to sort things out with. Um, I don't think I, I don't use any applications for idea generation um, that I, I play games. I, you know, I watch game videos, read about games. So that, that does give me some ideas, but mostly it's playing a lot of games. Application software to use for board game design. So that's a good question. I would say the, so I have some answers. I'm looking over kind of at my website right now. Um, the, so I would search some our games for the words tools and apps. And you'll see a few articles on that topic. But the uh, my main answer, the first answer that comes to mind, or two answers really, one is Google Docs. But for ideas, I use Trello. That's T-R-E-L-L-O. Trello is a great app, web app, for keeping track of ideas and shifting ideas around, letting them evolve, delving deeper into a specific idea. I would highly recommend using Trello. I think it works really well. There are other apps like Trello that you can use, but I've just had a really good experience with it. Robert said that he played Expeditions, our other 2023 release other than Apiary. Played Expeditions with Metal Mechs and Metal Coins at a local convention. He got crushed, but it was fun. I'm glad you had fun despite losing Robert, and hopefully you have another chance to try it in the near future. Andrew says, how do you decide on the age rating for games? Is there a checklist standard, or do you eyeball it? Really, Andrew, most of it comes down to regulations. So if you classify a board game as uh, as being less than, it's either 13 or 14 plus. I think normally, it depends on the country. Uh, but if you classify it as a younger age, it is classified as a toy and it's subject to a lot of different testing standards that don't actually really apply to board games. And so they're, they're classified as a toy. And so just by default, we use 14 plus, even though many of our games can be played at younger ages than that. We also, of course, have a choking hazard icon on our boxes because 
little infants and toddlers probably shouldn't be left alone with games with lots of tiny little pieces. But for the most part, our games are really enti just entirely contingent on gaming experience and on reading comprehension. And the age limit on the boxes is just there for, um, I wouldn't say avoiding regulations, but avoiding unnecessary testing for toys compared to the testing our games do go through as uh, for board games and for toxicity. Yeah. Um, let's see, Brian says, I'm just scrolling through looking for questions. I'm always happy to answer questions here. I do read the other comments too, to see if there's anything that I have to comment on about it. And uh, I'll, I'll jump over to my topics too after I answer this question from Brian. Brian says, you have featured several trick-taking games in your favorite mechanism videos. Do you think Stonemaier World, do you think the Stonemaier World would ever publish a trick-taking game? I'm not against it, Brian. Um, the reason that you see a lot more discussion from me about trick-taking games is that two of my friends, Henry and Pete, absolutely love trick-taking trick games, and they've brought a lot of them to game nights and game gaming events over the last few years. So that is the reason that I have talked a lot about a lot more about trick-taking games because they've been brought to the table a lot more thanks to these friends. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's just, that's the reason for it. Uh, one of the other times, let's see, some of the, I had a very busy weekend this past weekend. I went to a, a birthday party. No, I, I went to an engagement party. I went to uh, also a birthday party. My coworker Susanna had a birthday party this weekend. I visited a, a friend at a hospital who was who was going through some stuff. Um, played some disc golf. We had beautiful weather. Went to the farmers market. Uh, I had this this playtesting event during the day. I had a little bit of time, a little bit of time for work and to watch the movie Blackberry, which was a great business style movie, not a documentary, but a movie based on the Blackberry device that. Uh, no longer really exists, but it was the, the the dominant phone for a few years back in the early 2000s. And also watched a little bit of Welcome to Wrexham season two. Really, really enjoying the second season. It's an incredible show. Even if you I keep saying this, and I need to say this more to Megan, even if you don't love soccer or sports, I think Welcome to Wrexham is just a fascinating, uh, intelligent, moving, full of feeling show that I would recommend to everyone. It's about... Um, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney by a soccer team in, um, in, in Wales. And it's about the journey of this team to try to work their way up. And it's really also largely about uh, the town themselves, the people in the town who are impacted and touched by this team. Yeah. So spend a little time on that this weekend. Tony has a long question. Let's see. Not sure if you can answer this here, but we misplayed the income process in apiary on our first play. We thought you only gained income on workers that you placed at the bottom of your map. Common misconception, Tony, you are not alone. You are not alone in that. During the game, we discovered that you gain income for any worker you retrieve from either the board or the bottom of your map. That made us wonder why you would want to put your workers at the bottom of the map at all then. Are we missing a strat strategic element? Tony, yeah, the reason is, and I'm almost doubting why we put this in the game. I think there was an important reason for it, but it's hard to see. Um, so when you retrieve, in apiary, when you either retrieve workers or your workers are bumped, they have each worker has the ability to collect income from one farm. So if you have four total farms, but you only have three workers, you'll choose three farms and you'll gain their income. This is when, and I'm sorry, I, I said when they're bumped. This is when you retrieve workers. That's, that's the only time that income happens, when you retrieve workers. Um, however, when a worker is bumped, the worker typically, typically you want that worker back. You want to use that worker again. Um, so that you save a turn. You don't have to use a retrieve turn. And so typically you take that worker back to your active pool. And so that makes it available for you to place on a future turn. However, 
say on your next turn, you were planning to do, to do a retrieve turn and, so that you could gain some of that income. You really wanted that income from your farms. And someone else bumps your worker in apiary. Say so they, they bump it. Um, that is a situation where instead of returning that worker to your active pool, you might decide to have that worker be bumped to your docking mat instead, to your landing pad. Um, because nothing happens yet. The worker just sits there in your landing pad until the moment when you retrieve it. And that's when you can use that worker to collect income from the farm. It's kind of an edge case, but it, it did happen enough in playtesting where we realized, okay, we need to do something about this. Yeah. Um, of course, at the same time, if a strength four worker is bumped, it does not go back to your document. It just goes to hibernation right away. Hopefully that helps a little bit. Corey says that Valka is a game on Kickstarter that looks amazing. Let's check out Valka. I haven't heard of that one. V-A-L-K-A. Oh, yeah, very interesting art here on Volka. Here we go. Savage multiplayer and lone quest card game with immersive art by Brooke uh, Penrose. Yeah, really evocative art, definitely, in this game. Looks intense. Wow. Pretty cool. Yeah, thanks for that recommendation, Corey. Valerie does have the example. Okay, yeah, Valerie gave the example in, in text that I just shared. Thank you, Valerie, for sharing that. Michael talks about the magnetic meeples in the game Wondrous Creatures. And actually, let me pose my question of the day. So I, I asked this question about what are you backing, what are you excited about? But my, my big question of the day today is about the concept of literary agents. And maybe this is a little bit too much industry talk, but I'm curious what your thoughts are about it. So in the, in the book writing world, most authors and most publishers use intermediaries called literary agents. So I rather than submitting my book to a publisher, um, I would submit it to a literary agent, and if that agent acts as kind of a filter to decide which books do they want to take on, do they want to represent, and they go and sell those books to publishers. It's, uh, but in the board game world, it's kind of interesting, interesting to me that we don't use agents in this way. Um, in the board game world, if you want your game to be published by a publisher, you, as a designer, you submit it to that publisher. You find publishers that publish that type of game. You look in, into their submission process. You submit it directly to that publisher. So the middleman, the intermediary, is taken out, which definitely has pros to it, that you can go directly to the publisher in that way. But at the same time, it puts a lot of work on the publisher, and it leads to the publisher often taking longer to look through submissions. And, um, and I think sometimes it can lead to the publisher... Just saying, you know, I, I'm getting enough of these submissions that I won't even really, I, I, I won't look into detail into many of these games. Um, so some of the best games might just fly under the radar and might not get selected by publisher. And so there are pros, I think, to having agents like this. So I'm curious what you think about that concept. Um, I'm, I'm considering writing a blog post about it, not necessarily advocating literary agents, but just commenting on the idea that it's kind of strange that in the book world, there are literary agents and they seem to serve an important purpose, but in the game world, there are not. And what what purpose agents could serve if they did, uh, if, if they existed in the game world, where you would submit your game to an agent, an agent would take on a certain number of games that they're really excited about, and that agent would also take on the expertise of knowing which games are a good fit for publishers, and to create those relationships with publishers to, to help them um, help publishers decide which games they might um, they, they might consider, they might look deeper into. I don't know, just a random idea that I thought of, and. Uh, Thought I'd get your thoughts if you have any if you have any thoughts about it. 
Looks like uh, Matthew says that Sleeping Gods is coming soon. I'm excited about that. Uh, the new Sleeping Gods, The Distant Skies. Nick says he's expecting to read the Dune Imperium sequel today. Is that a game that you have on your radar to play soon? I do love uh, uh, Paul as a designer, Paul Denon, and Dune Imperium and Clank are two of my favorite games. I am curious about Dune, uh, the new Dune Imperium, but I still feel like I am really happy with the version of Dune Imperium that I have. And so I, I'm not actively seeking new content for it at this time. But I am still curious about it. Jordan also says that they're excited about the new Sleeping Gods. Uh, let's see. Uh, Chad says he just finished the backer kit of Joyride for a Mario Kart style game. Yeah, I'm still very curious if any game can ever uh, capture the fun that I had playing Mario Kart 64 in college. Um, I, I love racing games. I love their attempts at trying to capture this, but it's really tough to, to pull off. So I'm, I'm curious, Chad, if that, that game accomplishes that goal. I mentioned that I'm playing Scholars of the South Tigris yesterday, as Garrett says, it's a real brain burner. Really looking forward to your thoughts on that one. I think Shem's designs have finally hit that too complex level for me. Yeah, I am curious about that. Wayfarers was a little too complex for me. And I, I, I love Shem's ambition and how each game feels different. But the complexity is getting up to that kind of Vitalis Serta level where I admire it, but I'm maybe not as excited to play it. However, I'm always curious about what he's doing. He does some really innovative things that make me think as a designer and as a gamer. So I am excited to play Scholars of the South Tigers tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Uh, Fox Experiment, Tyler mentions that. That's one that I am excited to get in the near future as well. Here's a good shout out. I, I love this. John calling out Hansa Teutonica on a shelf of opportunity, an older game. I think the game that maybe even predates Terra Mystica as one of the first games where you're pulling things off your mat to create better actions and better income. And so I love hearing this. Yeah, games that are on, that we're excited about don't always have to be the new hotness. They can be older games that came out a while ago. So here's Paul, one of the guys that I had the pleasure of playtesting with on Saturday. He says, have you checked out Charcuterie on Kickstarter? I think it's so smart and clever. It's like tile laying where the tiles just loosely overlap on your board. Let's check this out while I have my screen sharing up here, Paul. So Charcuterie. Did I spell it correctly? Charcuterie. Here we go. Thank you, Paul. I'll, I'll hide your comment while I... Pull this up, charcuterie. I love the look of it. Oh, interesting. So these are actually tiles that are loosely overlapping with each other for that that uh, charcuterie look. The delectable game of appetizer arrangement. That's really neat. Plays two to six players. I love to see that. Jenna says she's obsessed with it. Wonderful spatial puzzle game that's easy to teach and get to the table time and time again. That's always a type of game that I'm looking forward to uh, to sharing with others. Oh yeah, look at these tiles. These are delightful. I love this, Paul. Thank you for this recommendation. I'm looking for kind of a quick set. So here we go. How to play. Uh, draw food tiles. Decide how to divide them up. I cut, you choose. I love it already, Paul. I'm definitely back in this. Offer your selections. Cool. Um, place them on your food board, rearranging as needed. All right. Pass the food bag. I love this, Paul. Thank you for this recommendation. I will definitely be backing it at the whatever the, the core pledge level is. Yeah. Thank you for that recommendation. That looks awesome. Yeah, definitely up my alley. I cut you choose, especially a game that is so visually beautiful and plays in a short amount of time at higher player counts is one that I can definitely get, get into the table with a broad range of people. 
Ian is excited about Apiary and Age of Comic, uh, Age of Comics, and he has Far Shore and Life of Amazonia on his showcase wall to learn as well. And to get to ride Legacy, so many games coming out this fall. Uh, Tim says, any hints on the next release and when we can expect it? Thank you for all you do for the tabletop community. Thank you, Tim, for saying that. Uh, we do have a few games, of course, coming in 2024. So I don't have exact dates on when we'll reveal them yet, but you can always check out our progress chart to get a rough idea. And I'll, I'll pull that up, Tim, while I'm talking about that. Let's see, our progress chart is on the news page of our website. And you can see it right here. So this shows where everything is. So you can see Apiary is our latest game. Apiary's retail release is next Friday, November 17th. And we have the fan art cards. We have the Tapestry Revised Civ. So you can kind of see the order. And then we have some code names. So we have some projects that are coming out in the near future. These are for full games, these code name projects. So you can see what they look like. So you can, yeah, you can always check out the progress chart. I update this once a month typically to see what's coming up in the future comes to Meyer games. Those are the hints that we give. Dawson's Shelf of Opportunity has Rogers of the Ganges, the Dice Charmers. That's a wonderful roll and write version of Dice Char Dice uh, Rogers, Rogers of the Ganges. Stardew Valley, Isle of Trains, all aboard. Great picks there. I need to try Isle of Trains. I've heard great about that. Valerie got a Spectre. Oh, that's fun. I've heard good things about that. Let me know if you what you think about that when you play it, Valerie. Okay, we're getting down. I'm I'm well behind on comments now. So people are talking about favorite um, components, bag building. John mentions metal mechs. Um, oh, speaking of which, Carmen talks about Gray Fox, and I am really excited about Last Light. Yeah, I have my pre-order with Gray Fox, but I haven't seen any shipping information on that yet. But I'm really excited to play Last Light. Uh, Michael says, "Have I tried the Escape Room near pieces? They're pretty good. The Haunted House was good too. I have not. No, I haven't done an Escape Room in a while, but I need to get back and try." ones that are really highly reviewed. Uh, there are a few good ones in St. Louis here, including one out in St. Peter's that a, fr a friend is associated with. Jim says, when designing the game, do you tend to throw everything and the kitchen sink into the mechanisms and then scale back or vice versa? You know, I'm working on kind of the brainstorming stage of a game right now, Jim, so this is fresh on my mind. Uh, typically, I throw a lot. I throw a lot at the paper, Pen pencil and paper, just throw every idea that I have and until... I, I, and then I get a fresh piece of paper and kind of whittle down which of those ideas really fits the theme of that game or uh, or vice versa if I'm if the theme is debatable. But usually I know the theme. I'm pairing mechanisms with that theme that I think might go along with it. Um, so yeah, I throw a lot at the table and and whittle back as, as I go. <laughs> Let's see. Dim says, do you think AI will help the design of board games? Can, for example, games be simulated millions of times using AI to balance them properly? Honestly, that is the one use of AI that I am interested in. Um, using AI to potentially play test a game for balance reasons thousands of times, maybe tens of thousands of times. I do not think that replaces play testers at all. Human play testers are, are, will always be the most important. That human experience of the game, I think, is the most important. But for balancing out asymmetry, I think AI could be kind of useful there. Beyond that, I'm not interested at all in AI as a, a tool for creation. And we're definitely not doing anything with it at Stomire Games. Uh, Bojan says, are we ever going to see the other half of Stomire Games? Mr. Stone, my friend Alan, on the live stream. Alan, I, I, I think he has shown up on it before. He doesn't love uh, this kind of camera time. He doesn't, he doesn't get a lot of enjoyment out of it. And so I don't want to put that on him. I don't want to ask him to do something that he doesn't enjoy. I think he has appeared on it a, a few times. If you want to go way back, you can look at 
the uh, the toast that we did, the backer toast that we did back on the Kickstarter days when we would record to us toasting the backers. And it's kind of repetitive as I was saying someone's name and toasting them and taking a drink, but, uh, but we have some good times on those videos too. I think there's somewhere on YouTube or our Kickstarter maybe. Let's see. Alan says he found a game I've never mentioned. I've never heard mentioned, but really enjoyed Space Dragons. Have you ever tried it? Let's see. I'll pull that up on Board Game Geek to see if I can find anything about Space Dragons. Here we go. Here's Space Dragons. Here's what it looks like. I'm going to minimize your comment here, Alan, so I can show it. Space Dragons. I haven't, haven't ever heard of this. Space Dragons. What is this game about? Space Dragons. Ready for a flight into the galaxy of the notorious space dragons. You'll assemble your crew, capture a dragon, patch up the ship. It's a trick-taking-ish game that plays over seven rounds. Each round, every player, everyone plays a single card. The highest card wins the current space dragon trick. The lower value cards come with strong effects to help you during the game, while high value cards might contain harmful effects. Interesting. Sounds like one of the, the rarities in trick-taking games, uh, some element of progression from round to round. Oh, I like this art. Yeah, this definitely flew under the radar. But um, but yeah, I don't. that's all I know about. This is the first I've heard of it. Yeah, thanks for letting me know about that. My wonderful coworker, Susanna, just popped in to say hi. I'm about 15 minutes behind on comments, so she is, she is behind a little bit. Uh, David has a recommendation for, yeah, prototyping. Connie did a guest post on our blog about Nandek. Um, Nandek is a prototyping tool for the person who asked about um, game design tools. I, I talked about using Trello to keep track of ideas. I use InDesign for my prototypes, and Connie uses Nandek. Yes, Garrett, I was gonna. I, I'm glad you mentioned this because speaking of Blackberry, the movie Blackberry that I watched this past weekend, Sungwon Cho is in it. So he is a famous YouTuber who uh, talks about a bunch of different topics, including games. And uh, it was really cool to see him there, because right? I actually emailed with him very recently about a Stillmeyer game that he may review in the near future. Um, so that was really neat to see him in the Blackberry movie. Ryan says, do you have a favorite contestant on Survivor this year? Last week's episode was incredibly fun. I can't wait to watch it tonight. You're right, yeah. Last week's episode was incredible. If, um, if you're a Survivor fan, you probably know this. You've already watched. If you're not a Survivor fan, I'd recommend watching. It's a pretty incredible show, especially if you enjoy tabletop games. I think the two have a ton of crossover. Ryan, my favorite contestant right now, I'm kind of rooting for Caleb. I'm kind of rooting. Actually, I don't want to use. So I will I will say that I gave this answer a few weeks ago on a Survivor podcast. So this is unrelated to who is still in the game. But I like Caleb, Drew, Austin, and D are maybe my favorites right now. Um, yeah, and also the lawyer who is hiding the fact that she is a lawyer. I kind of, I, I, I think she brings a good humor and insights to the show as well, but I forget her name right now. Tom says, when are the new promo realms on sale? Did I say end of November? That is right. Yeah. And the end of November will be our next e-newsletter and the next promo realms. They are the realms that I had previously talked about, but, uh, weren't ready to release yet because of some shipping stuff. Those are, Google, uh, yeah, uh, Boon Lake. Scoventeer and Apiary, which I would have loved to release with the Apiary game, but it wasn't quite ready yet. So those are the three realms um, and perhaps some other stuff. We'll see coming out in late November. Is that also when we can expect more news about Libertalia? Um, you can always expect news when I give that news. So that there's, a, I would never really expect news about anything until I actually deliver it. 
Um, Tom is referring to some Libertalia promo tiles that we're making. We're also making the revised sieves for tapestry. So when those things are ready and available, you'll you'll know. I'll let you know. Yeah, but um, but I don't think those things will be in the November batch. Tom also says, "How am I liking the Facebook YouTube simulcast? I, I think it's working well. I'm mostly." curious about your experience with it. So if your experience is good, that is what matters to me. Oh, and here is Leia with Kelp. Thanks for your support. Yeah, Leia is uh, the, the wonderful creator who is working on Kelp, who is uh, publishing Kelp. That is one of the Kickstarter games I showed a little bit a little while ago. I backed it. Um, Leia, you probably see my backing under Stillmeyer Games. That's what my um, my, my backer, backer name is. And thank you so much for helping out with last week's blog post. I really appreciate that. The other blog post I posted on Monday, what was Monday's blog post? Monday's blog post, I'll pull it up over here, was about, oh, Pam Walls. Yeah, Pam Walls is a, a, a designer. I can't say, I'm, I, I think she's an amazing designer. I haven't played any of her games yet, but I did buy a game after writing this post, so I can say that she's an amazing designer. But she's a very insightful and generous designer. She has a YouTube channel where she talks about game design. Here's Pam down here. This is a video where she talked about six truths about about the board game industry. And I go through and share my opinion as a from a publishing perspective on what she said on uh, on Monday's blog post. And here's the blog post. Actually, no, the, uh, yeah, contrarian idea blog post was in relation to the charity auction last week in which we ended up raising $34,000 or not just raising, but donating $34,000 to the 10 different charities. Thank you so much for everyone who participated in that on any level, um, including buying the metal eggs that you can see right here they're still available on our web store but if you bought them during the auction we donated one dollar for every copy purchased to uh to each of the 10 different um organizations charities that were linked to the charity auction so yeah total donation of thirty four thousand dollars spread across those 10 charities here is the actually no we're gonna go way back here to bees and seaweed this is the post that leah um contributed to where we talked about, or she talked about kelp advertising. I talked about some other things that we had tried recently with Stillmeyer Games advertising. Yeah, so thank you, Leah, for sharing your insights there. Stuart says, I know it's brand new, but it's an apiary expansion in the works. So currently, um, I will point to our progress chart for that, Stuart. I appreciate your curiosity, but currently there is no apiary expansion on progress chart. Um, but if, if we are ready to reveal that we are working on something like that, It'll definitely show up on the chart. Okay, here's uh, Miranda talking about the literary, I'll pull myself back up here, about the question about literary agents. Is there a value of having agents in the board game industry? She says, I've recently compared a few things around games and books, and I think it may, be, may simply be a factor that there are more books, that, books than games. That's definitely true. Don't get me wrong, there are still a ton of published games every year, but it doesn't compare to books. Overall, I think it is a great idea to have agents in the future. It could really help designers. That's what I'm wondering about, Miranda. Uh, I think you're right. Uh, way more books than games. Um, but I do see it as a potential asset for the designers and a potential asset for the publishers. Um, I think there are plenty of designers who maybe just want to design games. That's why they're not self-publishing. They just want to design games and adding that extra layer of uh, uh, like the business layer of, of pitching to publishers is important. It's important to know how to do that, but, uh, but it's something that an agent could be an expert at and they could really help you with that and could also be an asset to the publishers. Just an idea there. Um, Bojan says, sounds like you would be a good board game agent. Uh, don't have time for that in my career, but uh, but it, it currently it is a small part of my job because 
we have we go we don't have to but we do go through a lot of board game submissions here as part of alan's job mostly uh steve says have i heard about dune imperium coming to steam i have heard about that i'm excited to start playing dune imperium on steam in the near future here's Mar marcelo answer the question maybe the first board game agent will be a content creator who already has relationships with developers and you and an audience it seems to be happening in the video game world i can see that happening marcelo that's a that's a Someone who already has those connections and definitely has that knowledge of the industry. You would need a pretty vast knowledge of what types of games every publisher publishes and which publishers are actively looking for submissions. In fact, one party that could be quite good at this is uh, Cardboard Edison, because Cardboard Edison maintains a database of publishers and what publishers are looking for and what their submission procedures are. I'll pull that up on the screen so you can see Cardboard Edison. Here is Cardboard Edison right here. Here's what they look like, look, what their website looks like. Here's the publisher directory up here, board game publisher directory. Oh, it looks like you need to, to pay to get access. I don't have that. Oh, maybe I do have access to it. Um, but yeah, you can get access to it on Cardboard Edison. Let's see, Car Carmen has a con uh, comment about Apiary, I realized two turns in that if I let all of them go to the landing in order to gain income, I would lose all of them in one round when they hibernate at the same time. Yeah, that is part of the puzzle of, of, uh, of Apiary. Okay, so Paul has a comment, I think related to the agent discussion. He says, in the case of Honeybuzz, Paul's the designer of Honeybuzz, we couldn't exactly get our game into Target on our own. We sublicensed to Goliath, who has an easier time getting to Target. It's a similar dynamic. Oh yeah, to have those intermediaries uh, as distri distributors in some ways that, as intermediaries after the game has been published. I also know there are people in the industry that feel they provide big value by fielding pitches. I know someone asked for a six-figure salary to do that, but I think it overstates the value there. One other similar interaction is our co-designers. I think there are certain designers who really serve as, as agents by, I think Paul ran out of space there, but you're right. Yeah, sometimes you work with a co-designer and one, one person is a little bit more focused on the business side, the communication side, and the other is a little bit more focused on actually building the prototype, for example. Valerie has some thoughts on it as well. On the question, uh, in the literary world, it wasn't always like that. You used to have to submit to publisher and be responsible for reviewers, et cetera. It has since shifted because of mere quantity. So we're talking about quantity again. Publishers wanted to review more quality submissions and just like a headhunter for a job, the book agent started. This is just because, this is also because of publishers like Amazon where you can self-publish. I think for the game world, it would be an interesting concept. And Valerie, I wanna hear the rest of your comment. Um, yeah, let me know. Good morning, Carol. Convert the Dynamesh has a comment. I have gotten requests to incorporate a solo variant in my deck building game. What do you think? What do you think caused this interest in this interest in solo games? I'm still wrapping my head around it. It's a good question. I would recommend checking out, uh, as always, I'm recommending blog posts to you, but there's a great blog post about solo game design on our on our website. And uh, one way to think about it is that a lot of the things that we do. Are, are are solo. When we play video games, that's solo. When we're watching TV or reading a book, that's also often a solo experience. And so I think there are quite a few people who enjoy the solo puzzle of tabletop games. And it's been a huge rising part of the hobby, I think, to, to include a robust solo mode in your games. I think it can be a great asset to bring around 10% of people. 
I think maybe primarily play games solo, and perhaps that number is higher for people who play campaign games. Uh, so I think it's increasingly important there. But yeah, it's basically you deciding, do you want to include 10% of the hobby in your game, or do you want to say, no, that's all right. I, I, my game isn't a good fit for them. And for, it doesn't work for every game. Not every game can have a solo mode, but as Altama Factory can attest to, it is possible even in some challenging situations to, to find a way to have a solo mode in the game. That they couldn't figure it out at first for between two castles, and then they did. They it took, just took some time for them to figure out. Wolfdog says about the literary agent or agent's idea, maybe because the book world involves things like higher print runs, advances, and just a much larger market. Frequently published authors are full-time where game designers really are. That's true. Yeah, that's one of the topics that Pam talked about in her recent video, the, the video that I talked about on Monday's blog post. Heather is excited to play the game, The Art Project. A sucker, she's a sucker for Vincent Dutrait's art, which you can actually see on my wall right here. Vincent Dutrait did the art for Smitten. Uh, she's playing it with her teenagers. I hope you have fun with the art project. Matthew says, have I heard of Kinfire Chronicles? I have. I'm not a backer, um, but uh, but I am I watched some videos about it, read some, some good things about it. He says, I, I really liked how they did their how to play book. So I'm always looking for a good tutorial on how to play. I'll have to look that unlocking them slowly as you learn it. Yeah, we're experiencing that right now with Earthborn Rangers, which has a prologue that introduces you to the game. Um, it's, it's the prologue I would say so far is okay, because you still have to read a pretty good rule book and the two don't tie together, um, all that well. And so we're, we're struggling through it a little bit, but we are right now just basically building our character. So there's still a lot of information to unfold throughout the prologue as we learn about it more. But I love a game with a good tutorial, a good way to bring players into the game, especially a campaign game where you kind of just want to sit down and start playing. I think games that do that, uh, I really appreciate that. Rob, the Adventures of Robin Hood was a game that I thought did that really, really well. William has a comment about the agent question. I heard there are agents within the mass market space. Oh, interesting. Okay, so maybe there are some agents just outside of the realm of the hobby game space. Perhaps larger publishers like Asmodee, Fantasy Flight, and those that don't accept submissions use a similar betting process. That's interesting, William. You're right. I I didn't think about that, but that it could already exist. I just haven't come into contact with them that I can think of. Bethany answered that earlier question about components that she really loves, the dice bridges in the White Castle recent release that I may really need to play. I need to play that. Uh, Ivan says, I think that Apiary will enter the Hall of Fame with other classics like Catan and Stone Age. That's high praise for Apiary. A little bit of a heavier game than Catan and Stone Age. Different category of games, but I'm glad you're really enjoying it. I'm seeing, I'm loving seeing people have fun with the game. Uh, Tim, okay, so Tim works in the TV industry and, and is a game designer. The use of agents worries me. I found them to be problematic gatekeepers. An artist having to pay to get access to the decision makers feels bad. Oh, that's interesting, Tim. So I don't think of literary agents as people who, um, maybe some of them do have fees, but I think generally the literary agent method that I know of is that they get a cut of the uh, of the royalties. So they get a portion of the royalties, which does take away from what the designers learn, but it isn't, um, I guess that's kind of what you're saying. You're not, you're, oftentimes you're, you're, you're not paying the, the agent a fee. You're, you're, they're just, they're getting a cut. Um, but in the end, they are getting paid to get access to the, to the decision makers. You know, I wonder if we can have both. Um, 
because I would value, I, I definitely value people being willing to just submit their game to us. That's great. But I would also value a literary agent or an agent who knows the types of games that we're looking for and uh, and kind of provides that filter for us. It's something that Alan does right now for those who submit to us, but I think it could open us up to uh, quite a few games if, if an agent is willing to, to take on that responsibility as well. Marlene has a comment about one of our new releases, the, the fan art pack, the Wingspan fan art pack here. She says, we've played Wingspan three times now with just the fan art pack. You're right. It's so delightful. I called it charming. I think it's incredibly charming. Um, she's a, so delightful looking at all the different art. What a great way to engage so much of the community. Marlene has an illustration in this pack as well. She says, I think you said at, some, at one point that the fan art pack is balanced enough to play by itself. Is that correct? So far, it seems okay to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We kind of stumbled into it being balanced. Um, what we did is after we had, so basically we accepted submissions for this. Uh, after we knew all the submissions that we were going to publish, I shared them with Elizabeth and Elizabeth went through and checked them to make sure how they to see how they fit into the various bonus percentages for the, the goals and, and the bonuses in the game. And they ended up just happening to be pretty balanced. I think someone found one, there's one instance of one that is kind of vastly different than the percentage on the bonus card. I can't remember the category right now. Um, let's see if I can actually find it because I can share my screen now. I think it's under, here, I'm going to poke around over here. I'm spend accessories. Let's see if we can find that. Now, th there is a link somewhere. Yeah, I don't know where it is. But uh, th there is a, someone put together a helpful post to look at those percentages. So there's only like one card that ended up being significantly different. So you can definitely, and that, that's, I think I'll either play with the fan art pack or I'll play with the normal birds when I play Wingspan. Tori says, I got my copy of Apiary and looking forward to playing soon. Question for you, what do you think of board game content creators? Are they considered necessary for marketing a game now? I love board game content creators. Um, I, yeah, I, I love that they they spend their time and energy and and, and love and, and and criticism to help. Uh, in fact, they kind of act as a filter for, similar to the way that agents do, they act as a filter for people to figure out what games are a good fit for them. And I do think they're at least a huge part of our marketing strategy. We send probably thousands of games every year to various content creators um, who I'm hoping will provide their unbiased opinions for people who are considering those games, those products. So yeah, uh, there are quite a few of them. I have a number of articles on our website here, Taurus. I'll show you where to look if you want to look for stuff about content creators. Here's a couple of different places that I talk about it. But uh, yeah, entrepreneurship and marketing under blog, entrepreneurship marketing, and see them under marketing. Here's, yeah, all this stuff about content creation here. And that is, and then there's like relationship-driven marketing, external marketing, or reviewers. Here's a section on reviewers. So yeah, this is a, a, a big topic, I think, at, for things that I think about in terms of marketing our games to people. Ian's saying that he's loving this new system for the live stream. I'm, I'm loving it too. I really do like that I can engage with Facebook and YouTube at the same time. Hope it's all working out well for you all. Actually, before I finish off with questions and things today, let me see what other topics that I have to cover. Um, talked about the donation. Actually, I have pretty much anything. Oh, a number of people have asked me recently about uh, the bird name changes that the American Ornithological Society are working on. So they're working on removing any names of humans from the names of birds, starting with North America and then moving to other parts of the world. Um, for various reasons, among them being that, bird, like 
using a human name to describe a bird with their own unique qualities in nature isn't really a great description of a bird in the first place. Um, that alongside the fact that some of the names associated with birds, people names, are from people who are very problematic. Um, but rather than use it, rather than looking at that subjectively and say this person is more problematic than this person, they're just saying we're going to remove all human names from people. And they're also going to deal with some other problematic, essentially racist and cult highly culturally insensitive uh, words from, from some bird names. So this is a process that's going to take a few years for them to go through. And when they're complete, when this process is complete, we will update the names of the birds in Wingspan and we will release or the plan is to release a replacement cards pack, an update pack at cost to people as low as the cost as possible. It's not definitely not a profit thing um, with the new bird names. If people want them, it is not necessary to have these things. You can just remove the historian card from your game, um, but it is something that we're working on. And if you want to see the official statement, I'll pull that up over here. The official statement is on the wingspan page of our website. We put it on the main page because we got so many questions about it. I wanted just a quick and easy link to show to people. It is right here in this little section, name updates to birds. It is on the wingspan page of our website for you to check out if you're curious. Uh, Brian says, have I ever considered auctioning off the coming year's releases? I love your auction, but I've been reluctant to bid in the past as I've already purchased most of the package components over the year. Brian, that is that is something that happens. You're, you're right. Um, the, I think the added benefit that we try to offer through the auction is that we uh, auction off the lowest, um, the, the, if the games are individually numbered, we offer off, auction off the lowest numbers of those games. So it's still kind of a special collector's item. If you have a copy of Expeditions that you already love, you can you could give that to a friend and have this new special version of Expeditions. Um, as for releasing things that we haven't even announced yet, I don't, I don't think we'll ever do that. But we do sometimes release things that are slightly that we have announced or that's that are known entities, known quantities that we haven't given details about. And that was the case on this year's charity auction. Let's see if I can go there real quick on Board Game Geek. I'll pull off your, your comments so I can show what I'm talking about. Here we go. Uh, right here. So you can see. So I said, here I say 32,000, just so it won't be confusing, but one of the donors, one of the people who won the winning bids donated an extra amount, which brought us up to up to over 34,000 for the total donation. Um, but yeah, one of, the one of the things that we were releasing are advanced sets of realms that we haven't released yet, some ruling realms. So we haven't released those yet. Those won't be released to the public until late November. And then also the advanced copies of the Tapestry Final Civ pack. So we do release some things in advance, just not things that we haven't announced yet. Um, James, uh, for my agent's question, do you think most board game designers could afford to pay an agent? Seems like profit margins are already pretty tight in the industry. They are tight. Um, again, I don't see this as something that designers would pay for, but rather they would lose a small percentage of uh, the cut of their games, which that cut may even be so small that it might not even justify agents existing in the hobby. Um, but I think agents could justifiably ask for a signing fee from the publisher. So if they're doing this work, it's essentially doing work that the publisher would otherwise do. And if they're signing a game that will be a big hit for the publisher, that they could get a part of that percentage, um, part of the royalty, and also a one-time just signing fee. I think that would be reasonable to expect. Sovig says the Borging Beat thread seems to point towards relatively low payoffs for designers to engage with agents. 
I'm not familiar with that thread. Can you share a link to that thread? Yeah, this topic came out of my own brain. I, I'm not familiar with, familiar with a thread of uh, about it. Nate says, what is the typical entry amount to become a Stellmeyer investor? So, uh, Nate, that's a good question. I think legally, I can't just talk in general about it. Uh, it is it is a high amount. Uh, it is not a, a low amount at this point based on the amount of revenue that Stellmeyer Games generates. But if you are interested in being a shareholder, you're always welcome to email me. Um, it's the type of thing where you need a considerable amount of money to invest, to even own one share. Uh, because there are only a certain number of shares that we don't add new shares. So if you're buying a share, you're buying it from a current shareholder, probably me, but it could be another shareholder. Um, but feel free to email me if you're interested in more details at jamie at stonemeyer.com. Uh, we are an S corp and there's some certain legal things around S corps. Also, you have to be a U.S. citizen. Um, since we are a U.S. company, that is one of the regulations for S corps. Julio says, when starting to design, do you throw arbitrary numbers for prices and points, how often do you then change these values in future in further iterations? And how often do they just work? I do. Yeah, you have to start with something. It's your best guess. And sometimes the best guess is right, but uh, I typically wait a while to figure out what play, uh, you know, how players are actually engaging with these point values, these values, and um, and then eventually sometimes I turn to a spreadsheet to make sure they're all balanced. But yeah, I start out with just a hodgepodge of numbers, and some of them sometimes end up being right. A play tilt hurts says a good point about solo games. The pandemic also led to more people wanting solo modes and games. I think so, yeah. But I think that trend was happening well before the pandemic as well. Uh, it just it for those of us who play games primarily at multiplayer's, we are not engaged in the solo communities. But it is a very robust community of people who play games solo, especially campaign games and especially cooperative games. There are quite a few cooperative games that a lot of people play solo, like Marvel Champions. Most people play Marvel Champions solo. Or a lot of, and I don't want to say most, but a lot of people play Marvel Champions solo. And Marvel Champions has done very well as a result of that. Trevor says, is there any trend in the board game business or hobby that you're not particularly excited about? Also one that you are that you are excited about. I'll give solo as an example. I think it's great that people are enjoying games in different ways. I think solo is great. I also enjoy the trend of great tutorials and prologues in games. Anything I'm not excited about? Hmm. Uh, also enjoy the trend for, towards more eco-friendliness, a little bit more. Maybe not to the extreme that Earthborn Rangers win. I appreciate their efforts with that. But just a little bit more goes a long way, I think, that I'm not excited about. Mm, I'm sure there is off the cuff. I, you know, I, I try not to dwell on the things that I'm not excited about. Um, I don't know. I, I'm always like a little concerned about the sheer volume of games. There are a lot being published these days, and I think I, I see very few of them break through. But a lot of the games I see published are also quality games. So it isn't a matter of, I think now it's less of a matter of people not being discerning or selective. It's just people are putting a lot of time and energy and love and money into creating really quality games. So um, I hope people continue to focus on the things that they love. I think maybe one thing that I've tried to learn is that it is okay to design something and to work on something and to create something without the intent of publishing it. You can also, you can just create for the sake of creation. And I hope people feel the freedom to do that at times. Uh, Valerie says, yeah, the, the software doesn't show the full comments if they're too long. That, that is true. This is a stream yard that I'm using here. Um, she says, the rest of the comment was about the middle person being good for publishers to see more of the games that are, that are within their realm and interest, but the, both the question would be who pays them, designers, publishers, both. 
Um, could also be missing great submissions and maybe a contest every year could ensure to see many different submissions that may have been stopped by an agent. I'm a little jaded on contest. In the past, we've so if you hold if you host a contest for something, there's this there's an obligation then that you will publish something, but you may not actually get something that you want to publish. I think that's the danger of, of contests. Um, but I see what you're saying about having kind of an, an, an annual review process to help you prevent missing submissions. As for who pays for agents, I could see, like I said a few minutes ago, that I could see a uh, the publisher paying the agent a finder's fee, um, kind of like a headhunter in the in the corporate world. I actually write this down. So like headhunters are a good example. Um, uh, book agents, book agents, uh, headhunters, distributors are another way. Um, so the, the publisher pays a finding fee and the uh and they pay a part of the royalty to the designer and maybe even the publisher could take this on they could add it so if the if the designer is getting a seven percent royalty on revenue rather than only giving them six and giving the the agent one they could give the agent one and, get, and let the designer keep their seven that way the designer isn't really paying anything at all yeah um yeah that, that could potentially work Harman has a comment about solo play. I love playing games, but I'm not able to find anyone to play with as often as they want to. That, that, yeah, that, that can definitely be a factor too. For that reason, I look for games that play one to X rather than just two to X. Absolutely, yeah. Sometimes, yeah, playing, and sometimes it's not even just about uh, not having people to play with or, or your location relative to other people, but sometimes there are just types of games that you want to play that no one else wants to play, but you still want the option to play them, and solo offers that option. Blake says, do you know if the board game hobby is still on a rise as a whole? As a publisher, do you have any kind of data sets to see this? Um, I mean, we see, I see some things like this. I keep track of data from like pre-orders. I keep track of data. I keep track of numbers, like how is our social media presence growing? Things like that. Our, our sales numbers, how are they growing? But the best form of data for this, I think you get from ICV2. So... This is a website over here. This isn't the best example of pages from this website, but ICV2, they post sales numbers and kind of industry-wide data on their website from time to time. So see like down here, they have it for comics, um, sales rankings based on comic store data. So it isn't something that, that data that I have easy access to, but ICV2 seems to have access to some of this data and they report it on a regular basis. That might be a place to check that out. I do think it's still growing. I do. Um, and I think it will continue to grow, honestly. Yeah. Let's see. I'm a little uh, a little behind on comments, so I'll, I'll answer a few more questions, and then I'll head out for the day. Jan Williams says, when will the random signed cards become available on the European store again? Uh, they, they should be in route. I'll check on that. Signed cards. I signed a bunch of them recently, so they should be on the way, but I'll, I'll, I'll check on that. And as always, if it's something that's not in stock, just sign up for a back in stock notification and we will let you know when it's back in stock on the web store. And that also helps us know that we need to send more to that web store. Derek says, I do see that agents could introduce another barrier. Not only does a creative have to be accepted by an agent, but then the publisher has to accept what is presented by the agent. That's true. Um, I'm gonna note, dual solution though because i think i think both could work i think i think we could have both not just one so you could always just submit a game to a publisher as normal just like you can always self-publish your game if you want to but if you also want to you can you can go to an agent 
Um, I'll, but yeah, these are great questions, great notes. And really, I'm, I sound like I'm advocating for it. I'm mostly just playing devil's advocate here. I, I am fine with the current system. There are plenty of great games to publish that we hear about, but I think there, there could be value in it. Um, let's see, DD says, I'm excited about the Board Game Cafe near me is having a big swap next week. Do you have any games on your shelf that you're ready to part with? You know, I donated or gave away a ton of games from my shelf at the recent design day. So I gave them to design day attendees. And so my shelf is now pretty, I mean, it's it's full, but the top of it no longer has much on top of it other than the Wingspan nesting box, a copy of Raw that somehow I can't fit onto the shelf and the Viticulture uh, uh, wine crate. Let's see. Um, I'm looking at a few other questions. Oh, Julie is talking about how in St. Louis, if you live in St. Louis, you can select local pickup now for Stillmire Games. You don't have to pay shipping at all. You can pick up at Miniature Market, who we use for warehousing and fulfillment. And Julie confirmed, we just used local pickup at Miniature Market the other day, and fulfillment was a quick and smooth process. Thanks, Julie. I'm curious, Julie, if you're still here, uh, how long did it take? How long of a turn turnaround did it take um, between the order and that fulfillment? I, I'm curious about the, the timing of it. And not fulfillment, actually, just a local pickup if you're in St. Louis. Chad says, what's your favorite science fiction spaceship? Ooh, hmm. I mean, I love the, uh, actually, I'll go with the the Star Cruiser, the, the, the Star Wars Star Cruiser that I got to go on. The Halcyon will be my favorite ship because I got to actually be on it. How awesome is that? Let's see, Valerie says, high scores for APR came out in October and sure seem to be inflated. Yeah, I'll jump over, I'll show you the leaderboard on our website right now while I'm talking about this. Valerie says, what are your thoughts on this one? Selman on the forum claimed to have gotten 300. I tend to be a, a bit of a rule lawyer, so it hurts me. 300, I think is essential. Like, I, yeah, I think I think there are some misplays happening in APR because uh, the best score you can possibly have in almost all circumstances is just barely over 100 based on the timer of the game. So I think if someone, uh, someone is probably not aging their workers as they should, or maybe they have stumbled into a very specific combo using a very specific faction. Um, there's only one faction that helps you prevent aging, but usually the game just has a natural timer to it that you can't avoid. But what Valerie is talking about is the leaderboard. I'll pull this up here where you can report your score for apiary on the leaderboard on our, on our website, and you can see these high scores. So 151 is a bit extreme, but I think it is possible. I probably won't even, if I see scores higher than 151, I probably won't even list them here because it probably indicates that they played something wrong. 151 is really high too, but uh, but it is possible. And none of these are actually even the faction that, uh, I think it's the Arty faction maybe. Here it is, yeah, I talk, talk about the, the different scores here on the leaderboard page and some type, things to look out for. Yeah, Artie is the one that can prevent the aging process. But some things to look out for if you are seeing really, really high scores and really, really long games in Apiary, probably an indication that you're playing maybe one of these thing, things wrong, which is not your fault. It's our responsibility to make sure that you play our games correctly. And hopefully we can help out with that on our website. But I love if you play Apiary, please report your scores because this is great data for us to have. And it's fun because you might have the high score for the month at your player count, and then we can show off your name and, and your accomplishment. And you can also do it even if you haven't won the game. You can you can post your score whether or not you win the game. And that is helpful for us as well. Toby says this. I love this, Toby. I created for the sake of creation. Awesome. I, I love hearing that. It's something that I try to remind myself more often that is it okay sometimes? It is okay for me to sometimes just create for the sake of creation. I can learn a lot from that process 
without having to publish everything. I only want to publish the best of the best. Of course, talking about the charity auction says myself and the staff at Harmony House in Huntington are so appreciative of the donation from the charity auction with the winter months coming quickly. It means so much for the individual served. I'm so happy to hear that, Corey. Thank you so much for your participation in the auction and for hosting the interviews you did of some of the other creators involved with the auction this year. Oh, thank you, Trevor. He has a nice comment about positivity. I like the contagious nature of positivity as well. Here's Ian talking about solo games. I'm going a little bit long today because Megan's headed out to pick up lunch. Um, so I'll go, I'll go a little bit longer and says, I love solo play because it allows me to get games that make me think a little bit more to the table. I only play solo or two players with my wife and she doesn't like games that have too much going on or with too many rules. Yeah, so it gives Ian another outlet, another way to play games. Um, let's see. Chad says, I finally found an affordable Battlestar Galactica game, game. My first modern game that I played, I actually had, it had unpunched components. Do you ever hunt down a particular game to scratch a nostalgia itch? I did. Yeah, I hunted down. I actually put it, I broadcasted out here that I was looking for the Hobbit version of Love Letter. This was before we went to New Zealand um, to visit Middle Earth or around that time. And kindly two different people sent me their copy. And so I I think for a while, maybe no longer still, but for a while I had two copies of the Hobbit version of the Love of Love Letter. And uh, it's, it's a great version of it. Really, really neat version. Carol says, as we get into winter, do you have any winter gaming goals? In Wisconsin, we call winter the board game season. I can imagine quite cold in Wisconsin, Carol. Um, do we have any winter game goals? I don't I don't have any winter game goals in particular, but I'm excited to play through a number of campaign games with Megan. Right now, we're doing Earthborn Rangers. We're going to play that for a little while, see how we like it. And then we have Sleeping Gods coming up soon. We have um, Role Player Adventures, that expansion. So we'll probably be doing a lot of campaign games this winter. I look forward to that. Julie was talking about local pickup at Miniature Market. Uh, this is for Stillmeyer Games, bought on our web store, but picked up at Miniature Market. She says, not sure how many days, but it was definitely under a week. That's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that, Julie. I was actually curious myself uh, the other day. I almost thought about testing it out with one-day turnaround, but it felt a little bit too fast to expect a one-day turnaround. David, this is uh, Connie's partner. I think if a player has the artifaction, it, pre it prevents their workers from hibernating. It can inflate and it can inflate other people's scores by making the game go longer than typical. That's true. So it's not just for the arty player, but also for the other players at the table. Um, if the arty arty player extends the length of the game a little bit, yeah. All right. Thank you all so much for joining me for the, today's conversation. I love these topics about solo play. I got to make a note about that. Uh, solo play. We talked about um, about agents. What else did we talk about? A uh, lot of amazing things today. Thank you for joining me for this conversation. And I will, um, I'll see you next Wednesday. Have a great week, a great day. Take care. Bye.